Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Welcome to You Shall Receive Power. And here are your hosts, Etienne McClintock and Colin Hone. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into the program again today. Colin and myself, delighted to have your company. And just as we start, we invite you to bow your heads for a word of prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we dedicate this program to you. We just pray again for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. Guide us, lead us, and bless us, Father. Bring comfort to those who need comfort and healing. Bring restoration to us. And, Father, as we look at the challenges that we face in our Christian walk with you, Father, and the different Christians there are, and also those who are natural, we just pray for a deeper understanding. But ultimately, we want Jesus to be lifted up, and we want all men to be drawn to him, not only ourselves, but also our dear listener out there at the moment. We commit ourselves to you, and we thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing our program. We're in this wonderful little book by Helmut Horbel called Steps to Personal Revival. And you can download that program. If you go to the link, we are actually sharing this on your Facebook page as well. You can find a place where you can download the PDF. Now, we're in Chapter 2, and we're doing the second part of Chapter 2. And just by way of refresher, we want to tell you what our previous program was about. We were talking about three types of people in the world. Only three the one is the natural man, the one is the spiritual man, and then you have a hybrid <laughs> of sorts, which we'll explain a little bit later. It's called the carnal man. And what is the natural man? Well, the natural man is one who has no relationship with God. The Bible calls that person a natural person, and they struggle within and of themselves to understand spiritual things. And our reference text for that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 14. And it says there, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So here we have someone that cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't know them because they are discerned or they are manifested in a spiritual sense, and he is still natural. Then we have those who have a full and real relationship with the Lord. We call these people spiritual people. They are people who walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh or walk in the natural ways. But there's also a third one, which are people who have... Come into the church, they may have church membership, but we call them carnal Christians or fleshly Christians. So they have a divided or feigned relationship. And the Bible describes this person as fleshly or carnal Christians. And we have that, for example, in Romans chapter 7, where the person is under deep conviction about all the right things he has to do, but he doesn't have the power within him to live according to the dictates of his conscience, which now has been quickened by the Spirit. So he's under conviction, but yet not yet fully converted. In other words, self is not dead. He has not taken up his cross. He hasn't denied himself, and he hasn't followed Jesus in that full committed sense. Now, within the Bible, there are some parables, Colin, that deals with this issue of people who are carnal Christians and who are spiritual Christians. Mm. And we have that in the parable of the ten virgins as recorded in Matthew chapter 25. That's true. What I want to read, though, is Paul speaks to people. Mm. He actually mentions carnal Christians. Yes. And it's found in First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. Okay. And Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal. He's speaking to the early 
some early church members. These are the, this is the church in Corinth. The Corinth, which had all yeah. the problems. When you read the book of Corinthians, you can see there was a lot of problems with That's right. um, sexual immorality, mm. uh, a lot of problems in the church. Yes. And he goes, and I, I, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, mm. as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Mm. For one says, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? So you can see clearly that the criteria for the designation to this group is a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's the key. And it's interesting where he talks about those who are carnal as babes in Christ. So it's not that these people haven't come to the Lord. They've come to the Lord, but self has not been denied and they haven't taken up their cross fully. Because self is really ruling. It's not Christ ruling. And he's talking, says, dear brothers. He's talking to Christians. Yeah. Look, that is such an encouragement. So whatever your challenges have been, whatever your challenges, even if you belong to a, a, a faith group, you know, you, you, a fellowship somewhere, God is able to transform and change your lives. And some, the focus has to be really our relationship with the Lord. God wants to change you. If he changes you, it's amazing what God can do through you to help other people. That's right. Quite That's often right. our focus would be, well, look, I may not be right, but who are you to talk to me? So the focus then shifts to the other person. You know that story where Jesus says, you know, each one is a splinter and a plank. Yep. Quite often we think we've got the splinter and we want to fix the plank in the other guy's eye. He but sort out the plank in your own eye first. Maybe the splinter is a little bit bigger That's true. than you think it is. That's so true. this is a real encouragement that God is actually talking to these people through the apostle Paul, just like he's talking to us. Regardless of what your issues are, regardless of what your weaknesses are or your addictions, God has sent you a message because he wants to set you free. That's right. So he dressed them as dear brothers. And so he's dealing with church members. Mm. And he couldn't speak to them as spiritual people, which means that they weren't filled with the Holy Ghost or weren't sufficiently filled with the Holy Ghost. Right. He had to speak to them as babes in Christ. And this shows that they hadn't grown their faith as they should have. Mm. And so a person, for example, can have great biblical knowledge and still not grow spiritually. Yes. They don't have the fruits of the Spirit. I've met many people who have a great knowledge, but there's no fruit. Mm. There's no fruit of the Spirit. There's no love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, temperance. You know, all the fruits of the Spirit. And their word love, there's agape. And Paul says this kind of love is the fulfilling of the law. So in other words, they preach the law, but they don't keep the law. <laughs> That's right. And many carnal <laughs> yeah. Christians feel dissatisfaction, mm. disappointment or purposefulness or on a constant effort in their spiritual life. And you know, eventually you can get used to this condition. You know, yeah, you can become yeah. used to it and say, well, pff, this is just as good as it gets. That's right. You know, we're, we're sinners and we just can't do anything about it. Mm. I mean, and other kind of Christians might be enthusiastic. They're glad that they have biblical truth and they're very active even in the church. Right. Yet the fruits of the Spirit aren't seen in their life. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, for example, Jesus even says in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 to 23, he says that many will say to me in that day, so he's talking about people who believe named Jesus as theirs. And they've done many wonderful works for the Lord, haven't they? As their Lord and Savior. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. They mm. called him Lord. Mm. Have we not prophesied in your name? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? And haven't we done many wonders and works in your name? We've done all these things in your name. And then Jesus says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice Lawlessness, mm. And so where was the problem? They didn't know Jesus or Jesus didn't know them. Mm. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus, but rather only a feigned relationship. Either they hadn't been a real commitment or it hadn't been maintained. And Jesus didn't live in them through the Holy Spirit. And he says, yes. so they don't know you. 
So what we want to do today is talk about a parable. Uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 25. And this parable is the parable of the ten virgins. Now, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 has just, the disciples asked Jesus two questions. They're looking out, out of Jerusalem, mm. so this beautiful city. And Jesus says, do you know this city is going to fall? There's yeah. not even going to be a stone. Even that beautiful temple, which is the uh, the, the centerpiece of the, of the city. He said, yes. And, and they thought that was the end of the world. And they said, well, what, what's it going to be like? And what's going to be the... Signs the, of your coming in the end, at the end of the age or the end of the world. That's right. That's right. They asked, and, and so basically they asked two questions. Mm. They asked a question about the temple. When will these things be? And this is in uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Yeah. So they ask two questions. So Jesus gives them two answers. Mm. One answer is, he says, this is what it's going to be like before the temple is going to be destroyed and the city by the Romans. And this is about 40 years later. And then he tells this is what it'll be like at the end as well That's before right. Jesus returns. Mm. And it's funny how the, the the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD was a type of the destruction that will come at the end of the world as well. So you can take lessons out of both. That's right. Yeah. And so he gives it gives it what it'll be like at the end of the world. Then he gives a parable and says, now this is what it's going to be like right at the end. He gives three parables. Mm. One is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Yes. One is the parable of the talents. Mm. And the other one is... When the sun comes to the judge the nation, of the sheep and the goats. Sheep and the goats. Yeah. And each, did you notice in each, there were two groups. Well, in the parable, there were three groups. Right. But there were two groups. So let's look at the first parable in the ten virgins. And we're just going to, if you could just read that parable out, and then let's just unpack it. Okay. So Matthew chapter 25, reading from verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So they are looking for the second coming of Jesus. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. Interesting, it says that those who were ready, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord. Now, we've heard that before. Lord, Lord. Just in Matthew chapter 7. Yeah, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Wow. So so what do we see here? Basically, there's spiritual and carnal church members. Mm. Wise and foolish. All ten were virgins. That's right. All had pure biblical beliefs. Mm. They all had their lamps, and the lamps obviously is that thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, so they have the word of God. So they all had lamps, so they mm. all had the Bible. All of them went to meet the bridegroom. Mm. All of them looked forward to the second coming. Of Jesus. Yeah, that's clear. All of them went to sleep. All of them. All of them, including the wise. They all that's slumbered right. and slept, yeah. All heard the call and woke up. Yes. Something, some crisis, 
wakes them up. Because the call, behold, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him, does not come from the sleeping virgins. They were asleep at the time. It's the call that wakes them up. So it comes externally of the church. That's right. Yeah. All prepared their lamps. All lamps were burning. Mm. But half of them noticed their lamps were going out. Yes. So all of them prepared their lamps and all their of their lamps were burning. But the burning lamps need what? Oil. Oil. And continuous oil. Energy was used. Yes. After a short time, five of them noticed that their lamps were going out. Mm. The lamps of the foolish virgins that only burned for a short time show us that they did not have something from the Holy Spirit. Mm. But it wasn't enough. Well, sorry, it shows they did have something from the Holy Spirit, but it just didn't, wasn't enough. There was too little oil, and that was the only difference, Edian, mm. just too little oil. And so when the five came asking let Jesus to be let in, Jesus says, I do not know you. They were too late in attending to the oil, the Holy Ghost. The door remained closed. Yeah, it's, it, it snuck up on them. The second coming snuck up on them. You know, if you look at an athlete, they know when the next Olympic Games on, when the next, you know, um, Commonwealth Games is on, and they'll prepare. They'll have a whole plan in place to be ready for that day. For example, if someone comes to a, someone who's a great athlete, but they haven't really been training, and say, oh, did you realize the Olympics on when next week and you're competing? And they go, oh, I don't know. I haven't been training. It's almost like these these foolish virgins are in the same thing. There's a crisis coming. The, the Bible tells them the second coming comes. And before the second coming, there is a crisis, and they're not ready. When the crisis breaks, they don't have the energy, like you said. They don't have that oil to take them through that crisis. That's right. They didn't have enough oil. Mm. And so I, I love this quote in Christ Object Lessons, page 406. This is from um, Ellen White, and she comments on this parable. Okay. And she says these words. Which class are you? The two classes of watchers, the wise and foolish virgins, represent two classes who profess to be waiting for their Lord. Mm. They are called virgins because they profess a pure faith. Yes. By the lamps is represented the word of God. The oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And this is in the Bible. Mm. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth, mm. but they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. They haven't fully surrendered. Okay, yeah, that yielding, that uh, denying self, and yielding up. Yeah, it's been surrendering, and and um, and if you continue reading, I love what it says in the parable. She goes on to say, all of the ten virgins went out to meet the bridegroom. Mm. All had lamps and vessels for oil. Yes, And for a time, there seemed to be no difference between them. So with the church that lives just before Christ's second coming, all have a knowledge of the scriptures. Mm. All have heard the message of Christ's near approach. Okay, they've all heard about Jesus' coming. Yes. And confidently expected his appearing. But as in the parable, so it is now. A time of waiting intervenes. Mm. Right? There's a waiting period. It's like, oh, he's taking his time. There was a delay. Remember in the parable, there was a delay. That's right. That's right. Uh, And then faith is tried. And when the cry is heard, this cry that comes out, behold, the bridegroom comes, go out and meet him. Many are unready. Hmm. They have no oil in their vessels with their lamps. So they had a little oil in their lamps. They had no oil in their vessels. They are destitute of the Holy Spirit. There is the missing part. Hmm. And then she goes on to say, the class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They're not hypocrites. Mm. They have regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They attracted those who believe the truth. 
but they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit working. And then she says these incredible words. It is in a crisis that character is revealed. That is so true. I mean, I know that's true in my life, Etienne. Mm. I remember many years ago there was a major crisis in my life, mm. and it revealed where my character was, and it wasn't where it should have been. Mm. And so... Yeah, when, it, when we get a, a revelation of ourselves, it's never pretty. That's been my own experience anyway. But mm. the great thing is, but the Lord's mercy, he, re- yeah, he, he let that happen. Thank the Lord for his goodness and mercy. And yeah. it revealed In spite where of I, ourselves. It revealed where I was at with the mm. Lord. And my character wasn't developed. It wasn't... Um, sure. The character should... de- development isn't uh, the, the work of a moment. That's it's right. It's the work of a lifetime. Yeah. You know, I hadn't surrendered. Mm. I hadn't surrendered the Holy Spirit and, and allowed the Holy Spirit or given permission for the Holy Spirit to do the work that the Holy Spirit needs to do. Yes. And so, and then, and she continues on and she says this, they haven't yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. And that was the problem with me. Mm. It is in a crisis that characters revealed. It will show whether the soul is sustained by grace. Yeah. The 10 virgins are watching the evening of earth's history. All claim to be Christians. All have a call, a name, a lamp, mm. and profess to be doing God's service. All apparently wait for Christ appearing, but five are unready. Five will be found surprised, dismayed outside the banquet hall, and saddest of all the words that fell on mortal ears are those words of doom, I know you not. Mm. The thing is we don't have to remain in this condition. Praise the Lord, we don't have to. What did you say they were destitute of? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, yeah. So all we need to do is go to Jesus, Mm. surrender our souls, Surrender all. Like that song says, I surrender all. Surrender all. That's the hardest thing Mm. is to surrender. Surrender all and ask the Holy Spirit to do the work that God wants to do in our hearts. Ask it. And so as I said, they said, I do not know you. And Jesus' statement, for example, says um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 8 to 9, tells us, that our personal relationship with him has something to do with the Holy Ghost. Yes. So Jesus is connecting our, his personal relationship with us with the Holy Ghost. And he says, whoever doesn't let himself be led by the Holy Spirit won't be acknowledged by Jesus. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 8 to 9, it says these words. He said, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. No, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Mm. So actually, we only have a personal relation with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. Let's read that. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24 says, And by this we know that he, talking about Jesus, abides in us yes. by the Spirit of whom he has given us. Given us, that's and, right. And what did Jesus says? How shall you know them? You shall know them by the their fruit. The fruits. And what are the mm. fruits of? The fruits of the spirit. Of the spirit. Yeah, which is love, joy, peace, and, and so on. Yes. And so this means the assurance I have that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit is at the same time the assurance that I am in Jesus and he is in me. And I know that, you know, many people who have done the forty days, for example, forty days prayers and devotions to prepare for the second coming of Jesus by Dennis Smith. Mm. Um, have noted, and I've known, met hundreds and hundreds of people and heard hundreds of testimonies and those who have, have done the steps to personal revival, when they've been aware of this and they've gone and asked for the Holy Spirit, everything changed. And I love this little comment here. There was a sister in southern Germany and uh, she noticed 
through the presence of the Holy Spirit in her life, she experienced a relationship with God in a completely different way, and others noticed the change as well. So it's not only she, she noticed the difference, but other people noticed the difference. And I know that in my first 12 years as a Christian, and now the last 12 years, people are saying, there's something different about you. Mm. Well, the only difference is I've been asking for the Holy Spirit. And so if you're asking for the Holy Spirit and you're surrendering, then the fruits will start being seen in your life. And not only will you notice it, but other people will notice it as well. Yeah, that's true. And, for example, this lady uh, who gave a testimony after doing the 40 days prayers and devotions to prepare the second coming by Dennis Smith and this booklet, Steps to Personal Revival, she said, this booklet has become a great and long-awaited blessing in my life. Just like many other church members and a sister from our church has experienced, something was always missing in our faith experience. And now we have the privilege of experiencing how Jesus has entered our lives and has begun to change us. Mm. He's still working on us. So this is a... This is, doesn't like just a one-off thing. This yeah. is a continuous. Because um, there's two aspects to the way God saves us. There's recreation. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Mm. And then there's also regeneration. That's, a, that's us growing up and maturing into Christ, that's which right. is an uh, intellectual knowledge, but not only intellectual. It's also it goes from the head to the heart. That's right. And then flows out in our actions. That's right. So, mm. And she said, he is still working on us and step-by-step drawing our closer to him. And another brother wrote um, the following about the steps to personal revival. He says, it deeply touched me. The Mm. chapter on the 10 virgins, and especially on Romans chapter 8, verse 9, the part where it says, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his, greatly shocked him. Mm. Because Paul's talking, and Jesus talking to people in the church. Yes. Suddenly, I wasn't sure if I had the Holy Ghost and if he was working in me because I am painfully missing the corresponding fruits in his life. Mm. He said, this Sabbath afternoon, I finished reading the booklet and an infinitely deep sadness overwhelmed me. This is the testimony he gave. Then I read the prayer on page 108. There's a prayer in Steps to Personal Revival. Right. And a deep desire rose in me to receive the Holy Spirit, that my heart would be changed and that God the Father would change me according to his will. And he goes on to thank you for the booklet and for the words which deeply moved me. So he prayed that prayer in the Steps to Personal Revival. Asking for the Holy Spirit, repenting and asking for the Holy Spirit. Mm. And uh, so so let's summarize this. Yes. The main difference between the spiritual and carnal Christian member has to do with what? What's the difference? Holy Spirit. Yeah. Where they've surrendered to God and received the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So the carnal Christian isn't or isn't sufficiently filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And you should realize that if you realize that you are a carnal Christian and I realize that I'm a carnal Christian, then don't be angry. Don't be angry and rise up against mm. this message. God is offering us a remedy, the Holy Spirit. He's saying, come to me. He's knocking on the door in Revelation chapter 3. Yeah. He's knocking on the door and saying, let me in. Mm. And Jesus comes in through the Holy Spirit. But he won't force himself. And so the question, are you asking Daily for the Holy Spirit Like Luke chapter 11 Jesus says continually ask, ask that's right. For the Holy Spirit mm. And the Heavenly Father wants to give us the Holy Spirit That's right So in some circles the Holy Spirit is overemphasized mm. In other areas it's completely neglected mm-hmm. And I just pray that God will lead us on a path A biblical path That's right Of having the right balance And so let's do a comparison of the early church And the church in the end times We're going to do that after we take a break, shortly. 
But what about you, Etienne? Have you noticed the difference since you've asked for the Holy Spirit? Yes, I have. And, you know, those days when you particularly when you're busy, where you may not spend that time with God in prayer in the morning, those days are different. They're not the same. It doesn't mean they may have more problems or less problems. They may exactly have exactly the same issues that you face in another time, but mm. you face them in a different mind. You're facing them in the flesh, and the flesh wants to rise up. And typically what happens is you get wound up about one thing. You think, okay, well, I can cope with that. I can manage that. I can so I won't express what I'm thinking. Then the second thing hits you, and the third thing, before you know it, you are wound up completely because everything seems to be out of control, and just anything that can make you unhappy makes you unhappy. Yeah. Why? Is it because there's more troubles than a day? It feels that way, but I don't think it is that way. Mm. But when you've surrendered your life to the Lord and you have the peace of God in your life and you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have God's love which has been poured out in your heart, mm. whatever comes your way, it doesn't ruffle your feathers. Even when it comes, you go, Lord, that's fine. I'll just deal with it. When mm. the next thing comes, you're still not wound up from a second one. The third or the fourth thing may come. You've dealt with all of them and your day just feels so peaceful. Someone asks, how's your day been? Oh, it's been fantastic. Well, it has not had any less troubles than the other days. I've actually found I've had more troubles. <laughs> Jim. Yes. I, I, I look at you know the first 12 years as a Christian, mm. not praying and asking for the Holy Spirit. Yes. Thinking I automatically received it when I was baptized in water. Yeah. All right. And then looking post, and then, but not seeing any fruits in my life. And I look at it post when I started praying and asking for the Holy Spirit every day. Mm. I found there's been more troubles. Yeah. In my life. And I can understand why, because Satan is not happy when you ask for the Holy sure, Spirit. Sure. They'll be, they'll be, he'll confront you with more things. He'll try his best to derail your relationship with the yes. Lord. Yes. And then yeah. there's been many times where, where, where he's been successful. Because but only on a temporary. Temporary. Work, yeah. I, because what happens is I focus on the problem mm. instead of focusing on Jesus. Yes. Amen. We can get distracted. You see, I focus on the problem going, I've got this problem. I've got to fix it and, and you know, and get all caught up in the problem mm. instead of going to Jesus and saying, I will trust in you and giving him the problem and being at peace with him and, and knowing that he has plans to prosper me, plans to give me a future. You know, trusting in God despite the problems. Mm. He knows what the problems are. Yes. He can stop them like that. Yeah. But sometimes the problems reveal your character. That's true. And it also shows you cannot rely on yourself. It's a lesson sometimes we've got to learn. Sometimes we've got to learn it more than once, that we don't rely on self. We rely on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Dear listener, we've just come to the first half of your program. We're just going to take a short break here, and we'll be right back after these messages. You are listening to You Shall Receive Power with Colin Hone and Etienne McClintock. Stay tuned. A dear lady told me one day that she felt that she couldn't and shouldn't be baptized because she felt that she was almost certainly going to fall or sin after her baptism. Well, I told her that she most definitely would fall after she was baptized. I said, that's all the more reason you should be baptized. See, our walk with Jesus is a growth. We're human, and spiritually speaking, we are growing here on this earth. Remember 1 John 2 verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate. Don't live with spiritual basophobia, the fear of falling. Surrender to Jesus. Live connected to Him. And He will give you the grace that you need to live just how He wants you to live. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. 
Dear listener, welcome back to You Shall Receive Power with Colin Hone and Etienne McClintock. We are just looking at the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, and we're also looking at those who are in the flesh that cannot please God, as we read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, 8 and 9. But we also know that God has given us the Holy Spirit. He wants us to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And we're just going to look now at a comparison of the early church and the church in the end times and see what we can learn from them. What are the differences between the two, Colin? Well, when we compare the early church with the present-day church, we observe the early church must have been prominently, predominantly made up of spiritual people. Yes. Because the book of Acts shows that this was the reason for their quick and positive development. They grew rapidly mm. and quick with, with little resources as well. Yes. They had no other aid, but they had the Holy Spirit. I mean, on the day of Pentecost, the early church, which was comprised of 120 people, it's the, this church started with 120 people. Yeah. What did they? How did they start their church? They prayed for 10 days. They prayed for their promise of the Holy Spirit, and they were filled the Holy Spirit. And because they were filled the Holy Spirit, they preached in power of the Holy Spirit, and people could see there were things done with them. There were signs and wonders done with them. Mm. They were preaching the truth of words, the Word of God, and we can see that. Well, straight away, those 3,000 people were baptized. And those 3,000 people were baptized, they soon then formed small groups. So the early church was made up of small groups, Mm. of spirit-filled people. It says they came together, and if you look at Acts chapter 2, and let's just go there, Acts chapter 2, because you can see the model of the early church in Acts chapter 2. And so we're looking at around verse 42. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Yes. So Peter just preached a sermon. Yes where it says the people were cut to the heart when they realized that they had put Jesus on the cross, that he died for their sins. It says they were cut to the heart. What shall we do? He said, "He said, repent, be baptized, and you too shall receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's, that's verse 38. Yeah. That's right. We saw then that there were 3,000 people baptized on that day. Mm. And then it says they continually came together, all right? Yeah. And they, they did four things. Yes. They had they continued in the apostles' doctrine, so they did Bible study. That's right, yes. In fellowship, there was fellowship, there was a social element mm. of fellowship. They broke bread together, well they ate together. Meals together, so yes. So there was food involved mm. and they prayed together. Amen. And it says then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And also you find that they were a generous church. Mm. They weren't a stingy church because yeah. if you read in verse 44, what does verse 44 say? It says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And then verse 45, And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had need. So they were meeting the needs of those who had, you know, didn't have the same resources. As, in, as anyone who hmm. had need. And so they were a generous church. They took care of each other. And then you read in um, verse 46, what did they do? It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So there was corporate worship in the temple. Yes. And then there was also the house to house where they ate food together, but they had small groups. Well, you can only fit so many people in a house, can't you? Well, that's right. And these small, they're only just not small houses. Mm. So they were in small groups. So you can imagine those 3,000 baptized members probably met in probably 300 small groups of 10, for example, because yes. it takes 10 
which was made up a synagogue or a church. You could mm. only form a church when there was 10 people. Yes. So you can imagine a meeting in houses. And if you look at the early church, it was made up of house churches. Mm. And even the churches they built back then were only small churches that accompanied maybe 15 or 20 people. They were church plants. Yes. And they just continually multiplied. And so what did they do? They broke bread to bread from house to house. So they ate mm. together. I mean, That's here's right. the thing is, people, everybody eats. That's right. So when you invite people to your home for food, that's what they did. Mm. And gladness and simplicity of the heart, praising God and fa- having favor with all the people. So what did they do with the communities they lived with? They found favor. Favor with, yes. Yeah, they went out and found favor in their communities. Mm. Mm. And as they found favor in the communities and they did these things, it says the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So you see a, an early model yes. being set up. Now, when you think about it, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, number one. Mm. They followed Christ's methods, didn't they? They did. When you look at Christ's method, was Jesus in a small group? Well, he had a group of 12, but he had a, even a closer circle of just three. Yes, yeah, so he had a core group and yeah. he had a— Peter, James, and John. Yeah. And he had a small group. That's right. That's right. And then he had a bigger group of 70 as well, which he sent out. So it, it was an sm- in, intimate group, and then the group of 12, and then they had even had the 70. And, of course, we know there were even 500 disciples who saw Jesus after his resurrection in Galilee. I know. It's interesting. I always thought there was 500 who saw it, yet there was only 120 on the day of Pentecost. I yeah. always wondered about right. what happened to the other— I think th- ge- geographical locations as well, because one was in Galilee and one was in Jerusalem. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. maybe what happened then. So, so you can see this model, and then what did Jesus do? So they— they were taught by Jesus. Jesus went around what? Doing what? Healing. Mm. Healing, teaching, and discipling. Did he do public evangelism? Absolutely. Jesus did public evangelism. Did they do public evangelism? They did. Yes, the early church did, yeah. did public evangelism. Did they do one-on-one divine appointments? Jesus constantly, yeah, every day of his life, there were divine appointments. The mm. woman at the well. Yeah. Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Chapter 3 of John. Yeah. So there was four. divine appointments. Mm. And you see Jesus was in a small group. He did one-on-one ministry. He did small group ministry. He did public evangelism. And you go and follow the book of Acts, they did exactly the same. That's right. They just prayed for one-on-one divine appointments and shared the gospel. Mm. They also came together in small groups, just as they model on Jesus. They went and did healing and, and taking care of the needs of people, just like Jesus did. They modeled the church just as the way Jesus did. Yeah, and there's something special about coming together, you know, worshiping together, praying together, but also breaking bread together or eating together. But, you know, it's not just all about the food because I enjoy food very much. I love a good meal with, with, you know, with fellow believers. But there's times as well that they, uh, that they fasted as well and prayed. Yes, yes, they did. For example, if you go to the first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas were sent on, it says in Acts chapter 13 verse 2, it says, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. And they, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So there are times when you also have to do fasting and praying, and then the Holy Spirit in a great manifestation will actually direct the work. So this is the important aspect where God will direct the work through the wise virgins, as we read before, mm. where the foolish virgins may not, you know, they may not be doing the fasting element. They may not be copying that, that biblical model as we see in Acts chapter 2. That's right. So the mm. main thing is they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. They didn't have much AIDS apart from that. Mm. And I think the problem is in the last days, we've got lots of AIDS in abundance. That is depending true. Depending on what country you come from. Yeah. But in Australia, we have we have yeah. lots of money. We have lots of material blessings. Radio on the airwaves. We've got social media. We've got Facebook. Okay. So mm. 
But we, I think we believe we are deficient of the Holy Spirit. Mm. I think that's a problem. And I love what, remember what A.W. Tozer said. Yes. He said, if the Holy Spirit were taken away from our church today, 95% of what we, would, what we do would continue and no one would notice the difference. Mm. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the early church, then 95%, this means almost everything they did, of what they were doing would have stopped and everyone would have noticed the difference. Mm. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's true. And so I think that's what's lacking today is, is we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so look, and resources are great. We're not saying resources are right or wrong, but if you're relying on the resources and not on the Holy Spirit to direct the work, that's what we're saying is the issue. It'd be great to be spirit-filled and led by the Holy Spirit and have resources to support the work. That's right. I mean, yeah. have we learned to get along without the Holy Spirit? No, I, I, in, we gen- to, in general, I wouldn't we, think. Well, I hope think not. So. But have we learned to sort of we can do things? We've got material. We can go and let's go and build a medical yeah. center. Let's go and build a school. Let's go and do this. We, mm. you know, let's go and do this. Have we learned to do things because we have the material blessings, and yeah, we can I, go and do these things, sure, thinking think that we're that's doing a natural something. response to the human heart that we like to be independent on those things. But I think we need to seek the God. God well, when was everything. the last time you saw three thousand people baptized? Yeah, in not, one day, not not in first world countries, no. In one day, yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen it. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm going. To say. I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so, if we learn to get along with the Holy Ghost, does the church today consistently prime of carnal Christians? And as a consequence, are we often powerless and, to a large extent, have no victories? Mm. And does this carnal attitude have something to do with the fact that we only have weak church growth in many places? Mm. Don't we? Uh, do many of our serious problems in many areas come from our carnal attitudes? We will notice more and more that our personal mutual central problem is the lack of the Holy Spirit. Yes. In the personal area, we, we can quickly change this with God's help. We can change this. We don't. This is one thing that doesn't cost money. We don't need any resources whatsoever but to ask God, mm. to pray and ask God for the Holy Spirit. And I love this statement, uh, made, which is made for ministers, naturally applies to everyone. Uh, Johannes Magus says this. Do you want to read that? Yes, it says, Paul differentiates between spiritual and carnal Christians, between those who are filled with the Holy Spirit and those who have no room for the Holy Spirit in their lives, baptized with the Holy Ghost but not filled with the Holy Ghost. Mm. For a minister, this means that I can have sound theological training be well-versed in the basic biblical languages and skillfully practice exegesis. I can have received great biblical truths intellectually and understood them and be well-versed in the dogmatic theology of different centuries. I can have a sound grasp of homiletics and preach relevant and realistic sermons and despite all my knowledge and talent not be filled with the Holy Ghost. Mm. Books, education, good technical equipment, even charisma from Form a substitute for the missing spirit-filled life. So basically, you can do things with natural abilities. Mm. These are just my natural abilities. And so, but are you filled with the Holy Spirit? That's what right. he's saying. Well, God's given us all natural endowments, which we need to use these honor and glory. But it's the spiritual endowments that are the ones that make the real difference, isn't it? Well, you look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, mm. and you look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit found in Romans, I think it's Corinthians and uh, Ephesians. And yeah. Ephesians, yeah. they're gifts given from the Holy Spirit and yeah. Corinthians. And it says the Holy Spirit gives different gifts, mm. but they're all gifts to build up the church. 
these are actually gifts to, to build up the church. That's right. And equip. So preaching, praying publicly, organizing church life, preparing evangelistic programs, giving pastoral counseling, these all can be learned. Mm. You can learn to preach. You can learn uh, to organize church life. You can learn to run evangelistic programs mm. and give counseling. You can learn and go and doing a counseling course. Yeah. The, nat- these- the man has the natural ability to learn it, whether you are spiritual or not. That's right. And these yeah. all can be learned and also put into practice without the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I love what Ellen White describes this dangerous possibility as follows. She goes, the reason why there is so little of the Spirit of God manifested is that ministers learn to do without it. Wow. And that's from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 1, page 383. That's written in 1868. Wow. She was saying the reason the ministers learn to do without the Holy Spirit, because we can learn the natural by our natural abilities to do certain things. Mm. And we think if we're just doing them, then we can tick the box. Yes. But if we're not filled with the Spirit, we're never going to see the That's true. We're never going to see the results that we're looking at. Mm. And Johannes Marga was a pastor, evangelist, and a professor of systematic theology for many years. And he worked last as a secretary of the ministerial department of the Euro-African Division. He's now the Inter-Europe Division in Bern, Switzerland. He's now retired and lives in uh, Germany. And this is what he says. To summarize, being a carnal means living by normal human powers and abilities without the Holy Ghost or an insufficient quantity of the Holy Spirit. Wow. What he's saying is being carnal means living a norm, living by normal human powers and abilities, mm. which everybody has. Yes. I mean, you just look at it in the normal world. People have abilities that yeah. are different from other people. People that excel in their In business, area. sport, yeah. or whatever area, medicine, people mm. have natural abilities. That's right. And what he's saying is being carnal means living by normal human powers and abilities without the Holy Ghost or an insufficient quantity of the Holy Ghost. So what's the main obstacle in the carnal Christian? What do you believe the main obstacle in the carnal Christian is? What's our main obstacle? Well, I think it's itself. Yeah. It's our natural man that um now, what happens to the gospel is the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, but it also is the preaching of the cross. And self doesn't want to humble himself so it can be lifted up. Self wants to be elevated, wants to follow that uh, that that path. But to get to that path in a spiritual sense, self-denial comes first. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Yes. So this is, this is really the issue. The main problem is self. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the great ethics of the Bible, loving your enemy. I mean, that's what Jesus says, love your enemies. Mm. Forgive people for everything. Overcoming sin, etc. all these things can only be achieved by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Not with human effort. Mm. And so we're trying to do things by human effort. Which is impossible. That's right. And this shows us that the main problem is the carnal Christianity is that it's a life solely on human strength. Mm. We can't do it. We can't do God's will alone in our own strength. So let's read a few Bible verses on the topic. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 64, uh, verse 6. Okay, it says, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. Well, what part of all don't we understand? All means all. That's right. So there's no righteousness in and with of ourselves. Yeah? No, all. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags. Hmm. And again, Jeremiah, this is what t- talks about our true condition, you know? Yeah. So if we're trying to achieve things on our own efforts and our own plans, then all our efforts are like filthy rags. That's Jeremiah right. 13, verse 23. 
It says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. So what he's saying is we can't change ourselves. No. And what about Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 to 27? It says, it's promised by God. Yeah. And it says there, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So here's a promise. This is a promise by God saying, I will give you a new heart. Mm. So who's going to give us a new heart? God will. Can we create a new heart ourselves? No, no. impossible. So God says he'll give us a new heart. That's right. Here's the thing is, do we believe that? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, God said, let there be light. Was there light when God said, let it be light? There's power in his word to create what he said he would. When yes. God's word, he says something, even though it hasn't happened yet, it will happen. Mm. What God's word, whatever his word went out, it would happen. Mm. So do we believe when God says, I will put a new heart and a new spirit within you? Do you believe that he will do that and he's able to do Absolutely. that? Absolutely. He's got the same creative power in his word. The thing is that when it comes to our salvation, God wants us to cooperate in believing. It's by faith that we receive these things. So if we recognize the power of God's word, just like the centurion did when he said, heal my servant. And he said, well, I'll come and I'll heal your servant. And, and then he says to Jesus, but Lord, I'm not even worthy that you just come under my house. Speak the word only. And my servant will be healed. The power in the word of Christ, the power in the word of, of God as we find it in the Bible, needs us to accept and receive it by faith and expect God to do exactly what he said. And Jesus he said do. to the centurion, I haven't seen such great faith in great. all of Israel. Yeah, not only did he saw faith, but great faith. Because he believed in the word of God. He yeah, believed that if Jesus says word. the word, yeah. it will happen. Absolutely. And so we have to believe that God will give us a new heart and put mm. a new spirit within us. He also says, I will put my spirit within you and will cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and do them or keep my commandments. Yeah, that's a great promise. He says you will. He's not saying you might or you will try to or you'll, you'll give it a shot or <laughs> yeah. let's give it a crack. That's he right. says you will. Mm. Now, do you believe that? Amen. Yeah, I mean, believe it because God said so. God said he will. So it's just like if we confess our sins. Mm. He, right? is, he is faithful and just. To forgive our sins and to cleanse us from we believe that? all unrighteousness, which is of those filthy rags. So if we're of all unrighteousness. Mm. So if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive our sins. Do we believe that? If you confess your sins, do you believe your sins are forgiven? Mm. Yes. Because Jesus God. says they are. Yes. And not only that, he says, and he'll cleanse you from what? All, all unrighteousness. unrighteousness. Which means if you're cleansed from all unrighteousness, what does that make you? Well, free. You are righteous. Free. Yeah, but you are free from the uh, the unrighteousness and the fault. You are righteousness in Christ. Mm. Yes, and so Romans chapter eight verse seven as well. It says there, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Yeah, and in, in other translations, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, and it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Mm. So why we're living in this. In a carnal, this feign divided, we cannot uh, be subject to the law of God. We cannot submit to God's law or we can't do it. Yes. Okay. And I love what Ellen White said accurately. She says these words. It says, he who is trying to reach heaven by his own works in keeping the law is attempting an impossibility. Man cannot be saved without obedience, but his works should not be of himself. Christ should work in him to will 
and to do of his good pleasure. And that comes from the Review and Herald, July 1, 1890. So who's doing the works? Christ. It's Christ because Christ, yeah. if Christ is living in you, it's Christ's works. Now, is Christ's works, that's his imparted righteousness. Yeah. As a, are, they, are they righteous? Absolutely, 100%. Are they perfect? Perfect. That's right. No flaw in it. No flaw. So, and he says that man cannot be saved without obedience. That's a bit of a funny thing to say, isn't it? Mm. Because a lot of people say that obedience has got nothing to do with salvation. What is, well, what obedience does she mean? is the manifestation of our faith. I believe God enables us to obey him. I think obedience is actually the highest form of worship. Mm. If God says, I want you to go and do this, and you go and do that, that's disobedience. It means you didn't believe God, you didn't follow his directions. But again, she says, whose obedience is it? It's Christ's obedience in you and through you. That's right. Yeah. So if Jesus is living in you, Jesus says you'll do the same works as I did. In mm. John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus yes. says, you will do the same works as I and even greater works. Mm. So what did Jesus do? Did Jesus keep the law of God? Yes, he did. So if Jesus is living in you, will he seek to keep the law of God in and through you? Absolutely, because of the law are just the principles of love. He loved God supremely and he loved his fellow man enough to die and lay down his life for them. We will have the love of the Father in us and we'll also have the love of our fellow man manifested through our interactions with them. Jesus says, the law is written on my heart. Mm. So the law is written on Jesus' heart and it's written on our heart. That's right. And so when you realize this, it's a great, it's a great release, isn't it, from the mm. burdens of trying to do things on your own effort, which is yeah. impossible. Yeah, love is not legalism. That's what the problem with the, <laughs> with the, with the Jewish nation was, yeah. was they tried to keep the Lord by their own efforts. Mm. And we just read, you can't change your heart. That's right. You, you can't, leopard can't change its spots or our mm. righteous like filthy, filthy rags. rags. Yeah. And then... Then he gives us the only way you can do it is if I do it. Mm. If I put, give you a new heart. That's if right. I put my spirit within you. If I uh, cause you to walk in my statutes and my judgments. If I write my commandments on your mind and hearts. Yes. And the only way that can happen is if, if you ask for Jesus to live out His life in mm. and through you. Allow the Lord who began a good work in you to be faithful and to complete it until Jesus Christ comes. Yeah, and I guess what we're saying is when these references show us sufficiently that we are not capable of doing God's will without the Holy Spirit. That's true. That's the whole point yes. of it. And our main concern is that we always need to t- make a decision for God's will and that God gives us the strength to implement it. So God, we give our how – how, how would you say that? Well, what God calls you to do, he enables you to do. Yes. So his biddings are his enabling. Say that again. That's exactly okay, so the So what way. God calls you to do, he enables you to do. So God says, I want you to live like this. Mm. I want you to keep my commandments. I want you to do all this. Yeah. Well, how do you do that? Yeah. Well, funny enough, that that comes through having Christ in you. It's the only way. That's, yeah. It's What happens is you've got to vacate the throne of your own life. You say, I abdicate, Lord. I want you now to be the Lord of my life. So Jesus is not only Savior, but he's also Lord. That's right. So mm. God says he'll do it, enable you. I love the way you said he'll enable us to do what he's called us to do. Yes. So the bar might be really high. Mm. God says, this is the bar. And you go, well, I can't do it. He says, I know that. Yeah. And so, but I will do it for you. And look, there's nothing wrong with recognizing your own inadequacies. I think that's the secret. <laughs> I think, yeah, because you shouldn't be self-reliant. You should be relying on the Lord. Now, even Moses, very humble man, he, he gets called after 40 years being in the uh, in the wilderness, now looking, tending the sheep. And he says, Lord, but I can't. I'm a man of stammering lips. He'd lost the ability to speak the language. Mm. And then God says to him, haven't I made the mouth of, of human beings? Why are you so short-sighted in regards to this issue? He said, but look, don't worry. I'll send Aaron. Aaron can be your spokesman. 
So God has a solution for any of the challenges we face. And God wants his work to succeed. That's why it says that Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, he gave repentance to men and gifts to men as well. And those gifts are the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit which equips us for ministry but to we, benefit humanity. But here's the thing is we have a will. Yeah. All right? God doesn't mess with our will. That's right. And, he, and, and, he, and even Satan can't mess with our will. Mm. God has given, you know, that's like, that's sacred. Yeah. You know, that's your freedom of choice. That's right. So our part is to make the choice mm. to follow God's will. God says this, I oh, Lord, I make a choice to obey your will. Then God gives us the strength to implement it. Amen. And that's the key to it all. That and, is the and, key. And this understanding, and this is the understanding of doctrine of righteous by faith. Hmm. Is extremely important, and liberating. However, we can discuss, we're going to discuss it later, probably in our next um, program, about um, this righteous by faith. How to do it? Righteous by faith, which is imputed, and righteous by faith that's imparted. The point is, if God says it can be done, hmm. then it can be done. But it can only be done through Christ living in and through you. That's right. That's you know, the secret. Yeah. So we've spoken in, in this program today about you know the, the carnal Christians. We reviewed that from the previous program. We've looked at those who are natural, the natural man who's got no connection with God. He can't understand spiritual things until the Holy Spirit quickens his mind or you know makes it alive. And then we've spoken about those who are spiritual Christians. We quoted from a number of texts in the Bible, but Romans chapter eight, we read there in verse thirteen. It says, "For if you live." According to the flesh, so these are just natural or fleshly or carnal Christians, yep. you will die. But if by the Spirit, so how is this done? It says by the Holy Spirit. If by the Holy Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we put the deeds of the body to death? By what? By how? By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit do its work. We need to just get out of the way, let God do his work and cooperate with him. Is that the part when, the, when, you, in, when it says, if I confess my sins? He is faithful, forgive my sins. There's the pardon. Yes. Jesus is what he's done on the cross, pardon. Mm. And then he says, and, and means not only will I pardon you, and I will cleanse you from all our righteousness. And how I'll do that is through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. That's right. Well, dear listener, we're glad that you joined us today on this program. Uh, Colin and myself were delighted to share from the Word of God the plan that God has for your life, that he doesn't want us to live in bondage. He wants us to set free. And those who are still carnal Christians, the babes in Christ who still have contentions and striving amongst one another, these are people that really need deliverance, need to be set free. And if that is your walk at the moment, come to the Lord Jesus Christ, ask for forgiveness. He's faithful and just to forgive. But wonderfully that he promises more than that. He promises to cleanse us. And what he's cleaned out, he then replaces by the Holy Spirit. He mm. fills us with his Holy Spirit. Ask for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit daily. May you continuously be filled, and we look forward to catching with you up with you on our next program. Until then, God bless.
You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. Thank you for joining us on You Shall Receive Power. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249 73 3456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you.